Father, we do ask that you just bless this time in the study of your word. Lord, these are very important chapters. All chapters in the Bible are important and, and are profitable, as Paul would tell Timothy. Uh, every word, um, every verse. And Lord, may we make application for the day in which we're living in. And Lord, we can look around, and, and even as I'm sure Ezekiel, as Jeremiah is in Jerusalem ministering at this time, Daniel's in the palace of, of Nebuchadnezzar uh, ministering there, being used. Wherever you have us, Lord, that we would remember that you are working, you're on the throne, you have a plan. All of it's going to be unfolded exactly the way that you said, uh, that it will be fulfilled every dot and tittle, even as Jesus said. And Lord, that we would be used in this day to be a watchman on the wall, to give truth, to give warning. And so, Lord, uh, touch our hearts with your word here tonight. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. So just again, by quick way of review to set up for what's going on uh, as we uh, continue through these chapters, that Ezekiel was taken off in the second deportation, as most of you know, in the Babylonian captivity. The first wave would take place in 605 B.C. where Daniel and his, the choice man of Judah would be taken off to Babylon to be trained in the affairs of the Babylonian government. So Daniel's in the palace of Nebuchadnezzar at this time here. He is prophesying. He's ministering to Nebuchadnezzar, who is the king of Babylon, the most powerful man on the face of the earth. And you recall in the book of Daniel that, that Nebuchadnezzar, Nebuchadnezzar had absolute power. Whatever he said went. And if he made a law, then it was law as soon as it came out of his mouth. If he changed his mind five minutes later, then it became law. So that's how powerful Nebuchadnezzar was. And we see that in the book of Daniel when we go through the book of Daniel, which we're going to this fall on Sunday morning. And as Daniel would um, talk to Nebuchadnezzar, he said that Nebuchadnezzar, in the image you saw, you're the head of gold, and the Lord has allowed you all power and glory, your kingdom, but eventually, you're going to go down, and you're going to be replaced by another kingdom. And so again, it tells us how the Lord is the one that raises leaders up, and he puts them down. He raises nations up, and he puts them down. And it's all for his purposes. But as Daniel reminds us that the Lord is the one that's on the throne, and Nebuchadnezzar, this proud, arrogant king that's ruling during this time that Ezekiel is here prophesying, that he would be humbled and he would come to know that the Lord is truly the Lord of all of heaven and earth, and as he went insane for seven years. So there is Daniel in the palace of Babylon. Jeremiah, as we went through his book, as you know, his ministry would begin during the reign of Josiah, the last of the good kings of Judah, and he would reign through the destruction of Jerusalem. So he would minister for over 40 years. And he's there in Jerusalem. He's warning those last kings, Jehoiakim, uh, Zedekiah, uh, about not rebelling against Nebuchadnezzar. Because if you do, Jerusalem is going to be destroyed. But uh, we know that the, the leaders rebelled against Nebuchadnezzar. Zedekiah did. And so Jerusalem in the first temple ended up being destroyed. 
Keep that in mind because as people read the, the Bible, they read about the temple in the Old Testament. They read about the temple in uh, Jesus' day. And then we're going to read about another temple uh, that is going to be in a millennium reign. But in between the second temple and the millennial temple, there's a tribulation temple. So people get very confused about that. And we will sort that all out because it's important for us to understand that the Bible speaks of four temples as far as buildings. The first temple that's been destroyed, the second temple as well. There will be a tribulation temple during the time of the tribulation period that is yet future. That temple is being built even as we are speaking here tonight. Not literally a building, but all the furnishings are being prepared. All the preparations are being prepared for that temple that will be on the scene during the tribulation period where the Antichrist will go in and desecrate the temple. So we'll talk about that more as we travel through Ezekiel, as we get into the book of Daniel. And then Ezekiel ends chapters 40 through 48. That's going to end with giving us a detailed account of the millennial temple. There will be a temple in the millennium reign that will be a magnificent, magnificent temple. But there's also a fifth temple that is spoken of in uh, the scriptures, and that is the temple of God being the church, living stones uh, that are being fitted together, uh, a temple not made with hands of man. And we need to remember that, that that's a great temple, that we as the church make up a temple. So here is Ezekiel. Uh, he's taken off in a second deportation uh, off to Babylon. He's there ministering to the elders that are there. He's prophesying, and his prophecies focus a lot about Jerusalem that's going to be destroyed about 11 years after Ezekiel's taken off into captivity, which took place in 586 B.C., Ezekiel, we have seen, has really detailed the indictment against Judah. Uh, what they have done, their sins, the violence, the uh, offering of their children in the arms of Moloch, uh, their immorality, their worshiping uh, of the queen of heaven and those false gods. He has indicted the false leaders, as we're going to see as we move into chapter 34. We will see if we get into that chapter here today, but certainly next week. Very important message is he talks about the irresponsible shepherds, and then he would then proclaim God being the true shepherd. It's so rich as we go through those chapters. And then Ezekiel, as well as Jeremiah and Isaiah, as they spoke about the indictment against the nation, a nation that had forsaken the Lord, that judgment was going to come, that those prophets did not leave them without any hope that there is a future restoration that's going to take place. And we've seen that Ezekiel has spoken about it. He will speak about it as we continue. Uh, he talks about the fall of Jerusalem in this chapter. But then he's going to talk about how there is going to be a restoration, a future restoration that we will see in chapters 36 and 37, a nation that was dead, dry bones coming together. And we have seen a fulfillment of that in our lifetime. Absolutely amazing. It really shows me that God's word is true and that we can trust him in the prophecies that are yet future to be fulfilled. So amazing things that we're going to be looking at. But tonight the message is very important because he talks about being a watchman on the wall. So chapter 33, uh, as we read, that again the word of the Lord came to me saying, Son of man, speak to the children of your people and say to them, 
that when I bring a sword upon a land and the people of the land take a man from their territory and make him their watchman, when he sees the sword coming upon the land, if he blows the trumpet and warns the people, then whoever hears the sound of the trumpet and does not take warning, if the sword comes and takes him away, his blood shall be upon his own head. Verse 5, he heard the sound of the trumpet but did not take warning. His blood should be upon himself, but he who takes warning will save his life. So this is similar to what was briefly mentioned in Ezekiel chapter 3, that the prophet here, Ezekiel, you are likened to a watchman. That is, your responsibilities are very, very important. And that was to warn the people of coming danger. That's what a watchman was to do. Now, the city, the ancient cities, just like Jerusalem at this time, had a wall around it. And they had gates. And uh, the watchman would be up on the wall. He would be watching. And if he saw danger coming, then he would blow a trumpet. Now, in Numbers chapter 10, you see that there were two silver trumpets that were made. And they would blow the trumpet to warn the people at certain times, to gather the people. So the trumpet was used to give a message. And what the watchman on the wall was to do is that if he saw impending danger coming, he was to warn the people. He was to blow the trumpet, as we have read. And it was to be heard, verse 5, the sound of the trumpet, to take warning. And he was to warn the people that, listen, there is danger coming, uh, and you need to know this. So he did have a very important uh, responsibility. It's interesting, when you go to the book of Revelation, when you go to uh, those letters that are written to the seven churches, that there is one church uh, that was um, called the church at Sardis, and they had a, a message from the Lord as Jesus writes a letter to them. And he says, Remember, therefore, how you have received and heard, hold fast and repent. Therefore, if you will not watch, I will come upon you as a thief, and you will not know what hour I will come upon you. So Sardis had a history that they were a city that were built up on a, a, a bluff, and they seemed like nobody would get to them. And they would be ones that they were so sure of themselves that they did not set a watchman. And so Jesus says, you need to watch or I'm going to kind of come upon you like a thief. And what happened in their history is the watchman wasn't watching. There was no one to warn them. And they ended up being overtaken. There was a way that they found up to that city. But there was no watchman that was there. And it happened not once, but I believe it happened twice uh, in their history because they were not watching. So you and I, as we make the application for us, looking at the implication here, that you are to be a watchman, Ezekiel. He's warning the people that there's judgment that's coming. There's Jeremiah in Jerusalem. He's warning the people that destruction is coming. He's warning the leaders, don't rebel against Nebuchadnezzar or it's going to be really bad news. Uh, we know that Daniel, that he's in Babylon. God has his people that are given his truth, very powerful uh, words from the Lord, prophecies from the Lord to the people of God, but they were not taking heed to it. So as we read here, what you're to do, if you see the sword coming upon the land, blow the trumpet, warn the people, and then if they take heed to it, then their lives are going to be saved. You and I listen. This is really, really important, especially in the day in which we are in, that what we are to do is we are to blow the trumpet. We are to give the message. 
We are to give people the truth of God's word, first of all, when it comes to salvation. You see, what has happened, even in some circles of the church, and that is that those who are apostate, those who have actually left the church, um, they are not blowing the trumpet. They're saying that salvation can come by just you know, being a good person, or if you know, it comes by just loving one another. We are to love one another. But you and I, we stand on the gospel, and that is that Jesus Christ came and died for our sins. He rose again, and as we come and call on the name of the Lord, confess that we are sinners, ask him into our lives to surrender to him as Lord and Savior personally, then that's where salvation comes. It comes by faith alone, and Jesus is our only salvation, that their salvation is found in no other name. Then Jesus Christ, as the apostles would say to the religious leaders in the book of Acts chapter 4, that we know that he is the way, the truth, and the life. That is a message that we blow. That we, we say Jesus Christ is Lord, and he is Lord of lords and the King of kings. He is your salvation. That's what we proclaim here, but that's what we're to proclaim to our families. That's what we're to proclaim to our children and to the people around us. And I know that, that, that you who are listening, that you wouldn't want to do it this, but, but I pray that no one listening would say, well, just believe whatever you believe. Be sincere. You can be sincere, but sincerely wrong. And so we have a message to warn people, if you reject Jesus Christ, then there is eternal separation. Hell is very, very real. Jesus spoke on hell. He spoke on the eternal punishment for those who reject him. He said to the religious leaders, if you do not believe that I am he, then you will die in your sins. So Jesus spoke on it. He gave warning. He came to give them life. He came to give them life, and he went to the cross so that we might be saved. But there's a warning that comes with it concerning salvation, and we are to give that warning to others. We are to tell people the consequences of rejecting the gospel message. And people don't like it. People, they think, well, how can you be so judgmental, intolerant? How can you be so exclusive? Well, Jesus said, narrow is the way that leads to eternal life. Broad is the way that leads to destruction. And we care enough about people, listen, we share the truth in love. And if we're not willing to give the truth of the gospel to others, we're not really loving them. If we water it down, if we blow the trumpet and say that if you do not believe that he is Lord, then you will die in your sins. So the watchman had the very important responsibility, but also it's important for me as a pastor, for me as a parent, for you as a parent and the responsibilities that you have, um, that we are to give a message of the truth of God's word. You know, we're entering into that time of year where we get warnings. We've already seen a few uh, already in this last week of severe thunderstorm warnings or a, a, a thunderstorm watch or a tornado warning. And we get those warnings on our phones, on our apps, and, and the warnings come out, and we're to take heed to it. 
uh, those warnings that come. And so we are to give warnings to people concerning, you know, the truth of God's word, uh, concerning certain things, and we want to give that truth and blow the trumpet. Verse 6 goes on, But if the watchman sees the sword coming and does not blow the trumpet, and the people are not warned, and a sword comes and takes any person from among them, he is taken away in his iniquity, but his blood I will require at the watchman's hand. So you, son of man, I have made you a watchman for the house of Israel. Therefore, you shall hear a word from my mouth and warn them for me. So the blood was required at the watchman's hand because he didn't warn the people. It's interesting that Paul kind of used the phraseology when he was in Corinth. He, he would say to the Corinthians when he went first to the synagogue and they were rejecting the gospel message. He said, your blood be upon your own heads. I'm innocent. And he went next door to the Gentiles and revival broke out. The false prophets that were in the land at this time spoke false things. And they did not warn the people of judgment. There are false leaders even today, unfortunately, in the church that are speaking a false message. They speak a false gospel. Uh, They will speak a a false future. uh, And they're not warning the people of what is ahead. Listen. I don't know exactly what tomorrow's going to bring. I do know that it's all going to culminate what is ahead for us into a time of tribulation such as the world has never seen or ever will see again. That the things that we're seeing around us, the, the, the birth pangs, the labor pains, the signs, are all screaming at us as the storm clouds are gathering. That these are very sobering days in which we are in. Paul said that it is going to be perilous times. He would write to Timothy that in the last days there's going to be a falling away of the faith, given over to doctrines of demons, that, that we're going to see that persecution is going to come to those who live godly in Christ Jesus. He said corrupt minds and counterfeits are going to be on the increase, uh, evil men and imposters. All these warnings that are given to us that what is yet future, not to scare us, but to prepare us so that we might be safe and we can blow the trumpet and say, listen, all of this that is happening around this is leading to something very important, leading to an event that's going to take place called the rapture of the church, where the church is taken and then there's going to be great tribulation that will take place for seven years till the second coming of Jesus Christ. I want people to know that truth. I want people to know that that this world is not where it's at, that the nations of the world will eventually go down. Daniel chapter 2, as he's prophesying, that chapter called the very foundation of biblical prophecy, and that Jesus Christ, the rock, is going to be the one who establishes his kingdom, and his kingdom will last forever. So... The false prophet spoke and said, no, the captivity isn't going to last long. Nebuchadnezzar is going to go down. Nothing's going to happen to Jerusalem. You know, the temple, the temple, none of these things. And they weren't warning the people. Now, as we read this, we can think, you know, I, 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 what about the person in line at the store or the mailman that I see that comes? Or what about, uh, you know, that person that's the checkout person at the store? I I haven't given them the gospel. We can really put a lot of burden on ourselves. I don't think any of us are strong enough to carry the burden of witnessing to everyone that we meet or see. But when we have the opportunities 
as the Lord leads us, to give them truth is what you and I are to do. And so, Ezekiel, you are a watchman. You that are listening tonight, you are a watchman. First, you hear my word, and then you speak my word. And that is always the order here, as we see, that you shall hear a word from my mouth and warn them from me. We've got to warn them according to the scriptures. So you hear my word, and if we're not hearing the words, it's what we talked about on Sunday, that Moses lead the people to the place that I have spoken to you. If the Lord's not speaking to you, if we're not in the scriptures, if we're not students of the scriptures, then we're not going to be able to warn people about the truth of God's word. We're not going to be able to give them truth and how to live for the day in which we're living in. We're not going to be able to minister to our families and to others in a way that the Lord desires for us to do that. So it's always you hear from the Lord and then you can speak for the Lord just as Ezekiel is being told. And in verse 8, when I say to the wicked, O wicked man, you shall surely die. And you do not speak to warn the wicked from his way. That wicked man shall die in his iniquity, but his blood I will require at your hand. Nevertheless, if you warn the wicked to turn from his way, and he does not turn from his way, he shall die in his iniquity. But you have delivered your soul. So it doesn't mean that if we fail to witness every single person that we see that we lose our salvation. That's not what's being said here. Because it's not by works, it's by faith in him. But the application for us is we speak for God's truth, even if it offends people, if it isn't politically correct, people are more hostile to the gospel and to the truth of God's word than ever before. And that persecution and hostility may increase as we get closer to the return of the Lord. So Paul, in Acts chapter 20, he's in Corinth. He said, I'm innocent of the, the blood of, of all men, as he's speaking to the Ephesian elders there. And he said, I've not shunned to declare to you the whole counsel of God's word. And that's why I have asked the Lord to help me and been committed to taking you through the scriptures, all of it from Genesis to Revelation, all 66 books, because I want to be innocent. Uh, I want to declare to you the whole counsel of God's word. That is the priority that I have been given as a shepherd, as a teacher, as a minister of Uh, the gospel and the Lord Jesus Christ. So these things we take to heart. And um, and we are to speak against sin. We are to speak against those things that are false. Or against man's philosophy that is opposed to God's truth. I want to be innocent of that. And, And I want to be able to feed. You see, not only do I have the responsibility to feed you God's word, but also to warn, to guard to protect as much as possible. And that's what the responsibilities that you have as well to the people that are linked to you in your life. You have that responsibility to to your children, to your grandchildren, to family members, to friends, to whoever you have opportunity to minister to. And then verse 10, Therefore, O son of man, say to the house of Israel, Thus say, if your transgressions and your sins lie upon us, and we pine away in them. How can we then live? So say to them, as I live, says the Lord God, I have no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but that the wicked turn from his way and live. Turn, turn, turn from your evil ways, for why should you die, O house of Israel? So remember this verse. Here, what we read in verse 11, he says, I have no pleasure in the death of the wicked. 
in the Gospels, in Luke's Gospel, it was the sons of thunder, James and John, that there was a city in Samaria that didn't receive them. So they said, hey, shall we call down fire and consume these people? And Jesus said, you don't know what spirit you're from. You don't know what you're saying. And, and Jesus goes on to define his mission. I didn't come to destroy men, but to save men's lives. And Jesus desires for us to be saved. He came as the light of the world. And in God's word, we see that Paul writes to, to Timothy, pray for all men, then that's God's desire, they come to the knowledge of the truth. Even Peter said that it's God's desire that none should perish, but all come to repentance. So God's desire is that all men be saved. We need to understand that he doesn't delight in bringing judgment to the wicked. He desires for these people to turn, which they would not. He desires for people to repent. So I hope that we don't have the mindset of that, oh, I hope the Lord just brings down fire and consumes these people. And, and, and Lord, I can't wait till you judge you know, this nation or you judge the world. But our hearts should be broken. When Jesus, after he would say that to, to James and John, the sons of thunder, and by the way, John, who was called the sons of thunder, became the elder statesman in the church to the end of the first century, was known as the apostle of love. And he would emphasize loving your brother. And we know that, don't we? But also after that, we would see that Jesus would turn towards uh, Galilee and he would weep. He said, oh, woe, Chorazin and Bethsaida and Capernaum. You saw the mighty works. And I think that Jesus said that with a broken heart and tears in his eyes. You know, and it was hard for those guys to hear that because many of those guys were from that area of Galilee. Oh, you, you saw the mighty works. If Sodom and Gomorrah had seen that, they would have repented. Tyre and Sidon a long time ago. They would have repented. But you saw you had opportunity, and yet you did not. So we want to be able to be tenderhearted, to, to have a heart for people, to have a desire to see people get saved. The Lord still wants to save this nation. He really does. And that's why we're to pray and pray for a spiritual revival to take place because he doesn't delight in bringing judgment and, and seeing those perish. He wants those uh, who have rejected him to come to repentance. He wants a nation here to repent and turn to him. But we continue in verse 12. Therefore, you, O son of man, say to the children of your people, the righteousness of the righteous man shall not deliver him in the day of his transgression. As for the wickedness of the wicked... He shall not fall because of it in the day he turns from his wickedness, nor shall the righteous be able to live because of his righteousness in the day that he sins. When I say to the righteous that he shall surely live, but he trusts in his own righteousness and commits iniquity, none of his righteousness works shall be remembered. But because of the iniquity that he has committed, he shall die. Verse 14, again, when I say to the wicked, you shall surely die if he turns from his sin and does what is lawful and right. If the wicked restores the pledge, give back to what he has stolen and walks in the statues of light without committing iniquity, he shall surely live, he shall not die. And then verse 16, none of his sins which he has committed shall be remembered against him. He has done what is lawful and right, he shall surely live. So here as we read this, we don't trust in our own righteousness. Remember that Isaiah said in chapter 64 that our righteousness are as filthy rags before the Lord. We are all like an unclean thing 
but our righteousness is faith in Jesus Christ. We are clothed with his righteousness. As we turn from our sins, it means turning to Jesus Christ and turning to him for forgiveness and, and being imputed the righteousness of Jesus Christ. The one who knew no sin became sin for us that we might become the righteousness of Jesus Christ. And so it's a glorious, glorious message that we can give to others that forgiveness is found in Jesus who went to the cross and made atonement for your sin. And in verse 17, Yet the children of your people say, The way of the Lord is not fair, but it is their way which is not fair. When the righteous turns from his righteousness and commits iniquity, he shall die because of it. But when the wicked turns from his wickedness and does what is lawful and right, he shall live because of it. Yet you say, The way of the Lord is not fair, O house of Israel. I will judge every one of you according to his own ways. You know, Israel was saying that God was not fair. Uh, not only was he fair, he was very gracious and merciful. And he is merciful and gracious to you and to me. There are those who will say, well, it, you know, it isn't fair. That person who sin, lived a sinful life, you know, and at the end of their life they come to Jesus Christ and they're forgiven. You mean that they, they are going to go to heaven? Yes. Just like the thief on the cross. That thief on the cross, listen, that, that called out to Jesus and said, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus said, you'll be with me in paradise. It just shows the incredible grace and mercy of our Lord because Jesus was innocent on that cross, but not the thief. The thief was there. It was for the most worst criminals that lived a criminal life. He didn't say, oh, I'm innocent. You know, I shouldn't be here. I'm a good person. He threw himself on the mercy of our Lord. He would say to the other thief, listen, we are here and we are being crucified. The other thief that was mocking Jesus and reviling him and saying, get us down from here. The, 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 the one thief, he, he saw something in Jesus. And he came to a, a, a realization. Listen, we are here because we deserve it. We are receiving justice, is what that, that man said. And then he said, but Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Throwing himself on the mercy and the grace of Jesus Christ. And Jesus said, you'll be with me in paradise. And there are those that they can struggle. Maybe somebody listening tonight. That you say, I've lived a good life. I've tried to be a good person. Uh, I, I, I have tried to do my very best and be moral and all of this, but you see, those things don't save you. You can be a good person, but none of us are good enough. And that's why Jesus came and died for every single one of us. That's why it's important for us to understand the gospel, that we've all fallen short of the glory of God. We can't save ourselves. We can't come and stand before God in our own righteousness because we're guilty. And he sees even the intent of the heart, all the things of the heart. Jesus, in the Sermon on the Mount, he said, you can say you, you haven't murdered anyone, but if you're angry with your brother without a cause, you're guilty of murder. You can say you haven't committed adultery, but if you lust after another, you're guilty of adultery. He's talking about heart issues, so we're all guilty. And the incredible grace and love of Jesus Christ and the provision of forgiveness is available for whoever that is appointed for once for man to die, then the judgment so even those who lived a sinful, cruddy life, we can look at them. We can't compare ourselves to them and say, I'm righteous. 
that we're to look to Jesus and realize that he's the only one that lived a perfect life, but he came and made a way, and that his grace is available and his forgiveness to whoever, as long as they're breathing up till the end of their life. But after that death comes, then comes the judgment. There's no second chances. But people, they really struggle sometimes with the grace and the provision of Jesus Christ. And, and, and how can that be? And I've lived a good life. Listen, we don't compare ourselves to others. We need to compare ourselves to Jesus, and we all fall short. It's kind of like trying to reach heaven. We, you know, swimming across the ocean. One person may swim 200 yards and drown. Another person a mile and drown. Another person trying to get from here to the, you know, to over to Japan or something or to the Hawaiian Islands. You might be able to swim 10 miles, but you drown. We all fall short of reaching Hawaii, <laughs> paradise. But to reach heaven, it's only one way, and that is through the mediator, the bridge, Jesus Christ, who bridges us to the Father. So important for us to understand. And then the fall of Jerusalem is spoken of. And it came to pass in the twelfth year of our captivity in the tenth month, on the fifth day of the month, that one who had escaped Jerusalem came to me and said, The city has been captured. Now the hand of the Lord had been upon me that evening before the man came who had escaped, and he had opened my mouth, verse 22. So when he came to me in the morning, my mouth was open and I had no longer mute. So here we see that in Ezekiel chapter 24, before that, that section, chapters 25 through 32, where the proclamation was against the Gentile nations, that we see that he was uh, made mute, Ezekiel. Now, as he hears Jerusalem has fallen, it, just as God said would happen, God's word will come to pass. Now his mouth is opened up once again. Verse 23. Then the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Son of man, they who built inhabitant those ruins of the land of Israel are saying Abraham was only one, and we inherit the land, but we are many. The land has been given to us as a possession. Therefore say to them, thus says the Lord God, you eat meat with blood. You lift up your eyes towards your idols and shed blood again. He's getting very specific on their sins and the indictment against them. And why? Should you then possess the land? You rely on your sword. You commit abominations and you defile one another's wives. Should you possess the land? So even though they were in the land, um, you know, even after the destruction of Jerusalem, they thought God would bless them, even though they continued in their sin. It's interesting that when you read the book of Revelation, that it says that uh, as the, the, the seals are opened up and then the, the um, trumpet judgments are coming, that, it, that the people refuse to turn away from their sins. They continued in immorality and drug use and thefts and murders and all of that. People refused to, to turn away from their wicked ways. And that's what was happening here. In verse 27, thus say to them, thus the Lord God, as I live, surely those who are in the ruins shall fall by the sword and the one who is in the open field. And I will give to the beast to be devoured and those who are in the strongholds and caves shall die of pestilence. For I'll make the land most desolate. Her arrogant strength shall cease, and the mountains of Israel shall also be desolate, that no one will pass through. Then they will know that I am the Lord, that I have made the land most desolate because of all their abominations in which they have committed. So God purging the land, and then a remnant is going to come back, and God will do a new work through them, and we will see that. 
But then as we finish the chapter, as for you, son of man, the children of your people are talking about you beside the walls in the doors of the houses, and they speak to one another, everyone saying to his brother, please come and hear what the word is that comes from the Lord. So they come to you as people do. They sit before you as my people, and they hear your words, but they do not do them. For with their mouth they shall show much love, but their hearts pursue their own gain. Indeed, you are to them as a very lovely song of one who has a pleasant voice and can play well on an instrument, for they hear your words, but they do not do them. And when this comes to pass, surely it will come. Then they will know that a prophet has been among them. Very important as we close the chapter. They heard the words of the prophet. They heard the words of the Lord. They thought it was interesting. They thought it was intriguing, but they did not take it to heart. James would say that we are not only to be a hearer of the word, but we are to be a doer of the word, right? We are to hear the word of God and then do it. Godly wisdom includes not only knowing God's word, but also doing God's word, having God's word being worked out in our lives. You see, godly wisdom is just not having it up here in your head. And I've known people that they know the Bible, they can quote the Bible, they can be a walking encyclopedia of the Bible, but yet they live foolishly because they do not have the ways of the Lord being worked out in their lives. So James comes along and says, don't just be a hearer of the word, be a doer of the word. Don't be one like the one who looked in the mirror and saw himself and then walked away and forgot what he looked like. In other words, we look in the mirror every morning, don't we? And if there's, you know, hair that needs to be combed or there's dirt on her face, we wash it off. We just don't walk off and forget that we need to fix ourselves up and fix our hair and wash our face and all of that. That there's a problem that we need to be ones that as we look to Jesus and we hear his voice to Lord, help me have these things worked out in my life in all of your ways, not ignoring the word given to us but doing the word that is given to us, even in those things that are difficult. Because the Lord will never command us to do something that he won't help us to do, that he won't give us the powers we ask to help for, to ask for that help that we need. Lord, it's not walking in the flesh, but walking in the spirit of God. I hear your word. Your word is true. Lord, help me to be one that walks in your ways. And not just to be a hearer only, but to be a doer, because your ways are true. So, Father, we thank you for this chapter. We thank you for the important lessons here. And what my prayer is for all of us here, that we would be watchmen on the wall. In the days in which we're in, we would blow the trumpet, the message of hope, of the gospel, of truth. We would warn people. Um, concerning rejection of Jesus Christ. We would warn people uh, of, you know, trusting in the world. That Lord, that we would care for people, that we would speak the truth in love. So help us in the responsibilities that we have uh, to, to give truth to others. And Lord, as we have seen, not only are we to be ones, even as the model here for Ezekiel, that you will hear a word from me then you will speak it, that we need to continue to be students of the word so that we can speak the word, the truth to others. And not, Lord, not only just being a hearer of the word, but being a doer of the word. 
that, that it's real to us, that people would see something of the reality of Jesus Christ being worked out in our lives. We know they're not going to see perfection, but, Lord, that they would see that we're in the world but not of the world. So, Lord, help us to be used in the days in which we're in because we know that, as we've talked about, that tribulation is coming, that difficulty is coming, upheaval is coming, the storm clouds are gathering, but yet for us we shall live because we've been redeemed by the blood of Jesus Christ. And we are righteous only because of our faith in Jesus Christ. The one who went to the cross and died for our sins and rose again. And he is Lord of all. He's the one that is at your right hand, Father. And has made atonement for us for our sins. Has provided right relationship with you in the hope of eternal life a living hope that comes through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. I pray that you bless everyone here. We look forward to meeting on Sunday. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. God bless you. Hope to see you on Sunday.